Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and thanks for joining us. We've got a great uh, show today. We're going to get a little riff on the news, highlight the stupid, because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend, and this time we're going to call Kennedy. Kennedy, as you've seen her on Fox and Fox Business. For those of you who've seen her a long time ago, you saw her on MTV, and she's just one of the nicest, friendliest, but also funniest people that you could possibly imagine She's one of our uh, Fox favorites, that's for sure. And, um, you know, we're going into uh, Thanksgiving season, and I just think this will lift your spirits and make you smile because she's just a wonderful person, and I look forward to calling her and having a vibrant discussion. I have no idea where the direction of this discussion is going because with Kennedy, you're never quite sure, but it will be fun, I can assure you that. So let's just jump into the news, and, you know, there's some sad news out there. There's things that are just outright depressing. But I got to tell you, one of the things that is the biggest concern that I think people really need to worry about. Yes, we're worried about the reconciliation package, worried about the national debt. We're worried about COVID. We're worried about, you know, what's going on with the Russia. Are they going to attack Ukraine? We're worried about China. And are they going to try to take over Taiwan? Are there, there are a lot of those types of things out there. And I don't want to just go and glance over this because it is a pattern that I think is getting to the point of deep, deep concern. And that is um, the perception of what President Biden believes is real and is not real. Now, through the decades, he's had trouble with plagiarism and, you know, enlarging stories for his own personal political game. Um, but then plagiarism of stealing other people's work and calling it his own, you know, almost verbatim. That's why he had to drop out of the 1988 presidential race um, when he got caught in that situation. But this seems to be a little bit different. There was a Fox News story uh, just in the last few days um, where he was on a bridge uh, in New Hampshire. He was talking about this bipartisan infrastructure bill. And the president said, and I'm quoting here, Without this bridge, as I said earlier, it's a 10-mile detour just to get to the other side. And I know, having had a house burned down with my wife in it, she got out safely, God willing, that having a significant portion of it burn, I can tell 10 minutes makes a hell of a difference. End quote. Um, Here's the problem. Um, According to Fox News, according to a 2004 report from the Associated Press, which was archived by LexisNexis, it said that there was a lightning strike on the Biden's home, which is dramatic. It started, quote, a small fire that was contained to the kitchen, end quote. The report said firefighters got the blaze under control in 20 minutes and that they were able to keep the flames from spreading beyond the kitchen. So hardly burning the house down with your wife in it. Now, maybe she was home at the time, but the exaggeration, the perception, I mean, it goes to this story that the president keeps telling about Amtrak and and how this this person at Amtrak that works there was, you know, this conversation and he relays all of this, but the person had died the year before. And so, you know, sometimes people make a mistake, you know, when you're, I'm sure, um, the age that he is, I'm sure there are some stories a little fuzzy. My guess is there's some fuzzy stories that I tell from, you know, 35 years ago or something, but it just keeps going on and on and on. And the repetition of this stuff, you just really do worry about the mental acuity of somebody like the president of the United States. I don't think this can be ignored much longer. I think there need to be some serious questions asked. I think the the chief of staff, some of those senior advisors, Jill Biden herself, these are the people that, you know, have the close proximity as well as the White House doctor that at some point really need to look at this 
Because if he's going to keep going off and not have a clear perception of reality, that goes beyond the exaggeration. That that gets to mind drift and other things that um, I, I don't know what the scientific terms for it is. But it's something we ought to be scared about because he was there talking about infrastructure in a tour. And next thing you know, he's talking about his house burning down with his wife in it, which is not what happened. It, it just kind of anyway, I think that's an issue. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Kennedy right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's time to bring on the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, I also went to foxnews.com to find this and... um. I don't know. I Maybe I should have a different category for somebody just being stupid. But, you know, when you're a public policy holder and you've got a, a high profile position, maybe like attorney general for your state and a state is Michigan. Now, on the one hand, uh, Dana Nessel, I think is how you pronounce her name. We'll just call her the attorney general. I give her kudos for admitting out loud that she drank too much alcohol on an empty stomach during a tailgate before a college football game. And this is about a month ago. Didn't sound like she sugarcoated it, but she did post up a photo. (laughs) And she said, quote, I laid low for a while, but my friends recommended. And this is this is why I put it in the stupid category, because this quote as a public policy holder, the attorney general for your state. These are words to live by. Here we go. Ready? Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The quote. You never want to have to say this. I laid low for a while, but my friends recommended that I leave so as to prevent me from vomiting on any of my constituents. End quote. You know, as somebody who held public office um, themselves, uh, I, I can recommend anybody who's running for office or anybody who's in office. Yes, the low bar of preventing me from vomiting on any of my constituents is a laudable goal. So yes, that sounds pretty stupid. I give her kudos and A plus for being candid about it. She posted a picture in which she looks awful and she does look hammered. And when your friends, your neighbors, your um, loved ones, whoever it was said, hey, let's have you go home rather than vomiting on your constituents at the football game between Michigan and Michigan State? Yeah, that's maybe, you've maybe had a, a, a little too much. Evidently, she left early. She was assisted as she walked out, and somebody actually put her in a wheelchair to get her back to her and then she said she was driven home by a designated driver. I certainly hope so. It doesn't sound like there was an incident. and doesn't sound like she vomited on any of her constituents. And that, to me, folks, is bringing on the stupid. All right. We're getting ready to call up our friend Kennedy. But I wanted to say this before we get there, because this is uh, we're going to air this uh, the week of Thanksgiving. And I just want to make sure we're all pausing and giving thanks. And I, I hope that we don't just give thanks on on Thanksgiving Day itself. I do truly hope as a nation, as a people, as an individuals, that we pause and give thanks. And I really want to highlight the people that are serving our nation as the first responders. They're on Thanksgiving, they're there at the hospitals responding to 911 calls, uh, in the ambulances, working the, the phones as, as dispatchers. But we also have an awful lot of our fellow men and women who are serving in our United States military and our foreign service that are overseas serving our country. Uh, one of the great privileges that I had in Congress, I think, was to go out on Thanksgiving and go on the San Jacinto, which was part of the Eisenhower Carrier Group. And to the men and women who are out there this year on the San Jacinto, I'm glad that I had it and had the honor and privilege of joining you in one of the Thanksgiving of the past. Uh, we were out there just off the coast of Iran, about 16 or so miles off the coast of Iran. Um, and it was surreal to be out there that day and spend the night and then help to serve the Thanksgiving turkey and meal. I, I thought it was fa- funny that the, the sailors uh, got a real kick out of my, you know, I was back there helping to serve the mashed potatoes and gravy and, you know, um, some turkey and whatnot. But um, 
the pitch of the ship is such that it's not a steady floor. Now, as you can imagine, being out on a ship in the high seas like that, um, and it was a little blustery, not too bad, but a little blustery. But for me, I'm a rookie, and I was sliding all over the place, and uh, I think they did get a kick out of it. I Fortunately, I didn't fall, but um, a lot of good men and women out there serving, and I was amazed in the array of people. Um, you know, those ships are... By and large, 20-year-olds, some 30-year-olds, and you know, a couple handful that are maybe in their 40s. Very young people from all across the country. People whose paths would have never crossed before. You'd be amazed as they watch in their, the radar and the other sensitive uh, classified information that's coming across. Keeping an eye uh, to see if they were going to have somebody try to take out the ship. And just, just to be ready that carrier group to do whatever they're called upon to do. Working all kinds of shifts, tight living quarters. I just can't thank them enough for their service. And there are people like that in Korea and just all over the world uh, serving on behalf of the United States of America. It's dangerous and they're away from their family. We love them, we care for them, and we hope that they also have a great Thanksgiving. With that said... Uh, I want to give a give a call to one of our uh, one of the people I was honored privileged to get to know and I mean have a real fun with my wife Julie and I we just have so much fun whenever we're in New York she has a Fox business show it's a great fun time she is wicked smart she knows her stuff and asks good probe questions and does so with a big smile on her face so let's give a call to Kennedy hello that's how you answer the phone. Kennedy, this is Jason Chaffetz. Oh, my gosh. The Honorable Jason Chaffetz, former yeah, congressman, I, former chair of the House Oversight Committee. That Jason Chaffetz. I know you know a lot of Jason Chaffetz's, and I appreciate the formality because I do insist on it. Hard to narrow it down. Well, I do. I mean, the Honorable, I kind of get used to it. I would like to be called Dr. Kennedy, but uh, I have not attended a university or medical facility for long enough to have that title, so maybe at some point. Well, that doesn't slow down a lot of people. I mean, Jill Biden is not an actual medical doctor, and we call her a doctor. <laughs> it's true. We sure do. She wrote a really uh, just knock em dead dissertation on community college. Woo! <laughs> yes, doctor. So, Dr. Kennedy, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us here. You're, you're one of our favorite people, in particular my wife, Julie, just like... I go to New York sometimes, and I bump into it, and she always said, well, did you see Kennedy? Like, she really digs you. She really likes you. I think when your wife is here, we should go to some musicals, because your wife is super, super fun. Well, thank you for saying that. It's, so if we were there, and we were in New York, where, where would you take us? Ooh, I'm really boring, so we'd probably go to Del Frisco's. All right, everybody listening to this podcast has no idea how funny that is because Del Frisco's is like right next to Fox News. It's very expensive, and it's a boring restaurant with fancy, expensive food. That's absolutely right, and a lot of Fox people go there. And a lot of Fox people go there because, well, it's you know all the way across the street. Have you seen the Book of Mormon? Were you offended by it? I would actually really like to see it. I have not yet seen it. Um, even though I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, one of the things I'm proud of is that our church bought an ad in the Playbill program saying, now that you've seen the, the play, now you need to read the book. I think that's a very smart idea. That's great marketing because, you know, a, a lot of people perhaps were not exposed to the church until they saw that musical and, you know, oftentimes when you dip your toe into something, you want to dive right into the entire pool. Well, it is a bit raucous and a bit, um, from what I understand, having not seen it, a, a little off message from what the church is actually trying to, to share. But I've heard that it's actually pretty funny along the way. So I don't know that my wife wants to see it, but maybe you could take us or we could go somewhere like, I don't know, somewhere else. Lion King? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we saw Shrek. I love seen, Wicked. I have to say Wicked. We've seen Wicked. Yeah, Wicked's awesome. And I've seen it like four times. Wicked but again, is good. like Del Frisco's, I'm the kind of person that once I do something <laughs> once, I just keep doing the same thing over you and over would again. Take us off Broadway. There's no way you're going to a Broadway show. No, but... we're we're gonna see something non traditional, absolutely. Oh, thank you. Um I, I do appreciate it. Do you ever kind of like just sit back and say yeah, I'm Dr. Kennedy, and I can't believe that 
night after night, day after day, I'm on Fox News. Like, was that the lifelong dream when you were a little girl growing up? Yeah, actually, I was into politics and music with the same intensity all throughout high school. I loved politics and I loved music. So I just assumed, and I even, we had to write an essay uh, our eighth grade year. And I wrote in my essay that um, we had to write our own eulogy. And so I wrote that I was a a two-time Emmy Award winner and the only former Emmy Award winner who was also vice president. So I didn't think that I was going to ascend to the presidency, but I really, really was convinced when I was 13 that I was going to be vice president. And that seemed pretty great. Well, that would be pretty great. And it would make for very interesting politics to have you as the vice president of the United States. I think you could probably outdo what's going on right now. I'm just guessing. Um, A jar of mustard could, let's be honest. (laughs) Where did where and where was where did you grow up? I grew up in Oregon. I was born in Indiana, and my my parents went westward and just sort of stayed in Oregon. Otherwise, they would have fallen into the Pacific, and that would have been sad. Um, And I, you know, I I grew up, my dad watched a lot of news, and we watched 60 Minutes every Sunday night, and we would watch the evening news every night when he came home from work, and it was very loud. Um, And I was always trying to figure out what certain terms meant. And uh, then when I was in high school, I developed an unnatural obsession with Dan Quayle, and I was a member of the Teen Republicans, and he came and spoke to us, and I stared at him and made eye contact with him the whole time, and I think I made him very, very nervous. (laughs) I'm sure there are a few Secret Service agents that were a little bit nervous, too. Okay, so wait, I can understand the love and the passion and the excitement about music. Totally get it, right? Politics? Dan Quayle? Yeah. Teenage girl? What, yeah. where, where did that go? Well, from? he was he was a senator from Indiana. So I remember uh, when he was on the secret shortlist, my dad, we were in Indiana visiting my grandmother at the time. And my dad was like, uh, you know, Bush might pick Dan Quayle. And I was thinking, like, there's absolutely no way. And uh, he did. And so that was a big deal. So as Hoosiers, we were so excited. So I was excited for the guy. I thought that he had youth and passion and those dreamy blue eyes. And uh, I, I really I gravitated toward politics in high school because the people who were into politics were so different than anyone in my friend group, than anyone that, that I had known who, you know, at that point, I'd really hung out with jocks and weirdos. And so the political crowd, uh, they were smart and disinterested in everybody else, which I thought made them cool in their own way. And everyone got to argue. And I grew up in a very argumentative family. So arguing all the time about stuff you cared about seemed like a lot of fun. You ended up a little bit more conservative. You're much more, you're not affiliated with any party. You're I consider you more of a libertarian than I would a, a Republican or a conservative. Is that would that be about right? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a, a philosophical libertarian. I don't belong to the Libertarian Party. Uh, right. There are a lot of candidates who run as libertarians that I vote for. I end up writing in a lot of candidates when I vote uh, because oftentimes there aren't libertarians on the ballot, and if there are, sometimes if I haven't heard of them, I put my friends in. Like Cat Timp has done very very well. On the California ballot. And, uh, you know, her name has been sprinkled throughout the judiciary for years now. So I'm hoping at some point other people sort of catch on and, and Kat somehow wins a, a spot on a California bench. I, I'm telling you, Kat on the bench would be something special. That That is must-see TV right there, you know. Yeah, because uh, most things she would let people off for, she'd be like, oh, what? Drugs? Yeah, it's fine. You're doing that? It's consensual? No, yeah, you're don't fine. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're acquitted. No, 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 you're good. Uh, but then if if there were some, like, punk-ass boy who, like, knocked down an old lady, uh, I think she'd probably lock him up in uh, in the gulag or Gitmo. <laughs> she, would. she would. She'd send him to Gitmo. Yep. Even better. You're not You're not going to Lompoc. Um, you're going to go to Gitmo. That's where you're Surprise. going to Surprise. You think you're going to hurt an old lady? You little bastard. Uh, no, I think uh, I think that, that she would be great, and her lectures from the bench would be fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like why I watch Judge Judy. You know, it's just kind of fun. This is where I think Fox, 
if I can be critical of the management here, they're missing the mark with Trey Gowdy. Put Trey Gowdy in a courtroom setting and let him be the judge and question people. That would be much better television. I think that would be great. I think that's actually a great idea, and that would be a great Fox Nation show. Um, yes. Has he Now, to be a judge, like, you don't really have to have done anything. Like, you, Trey Gowdy went to law school, so he was a prosecutor, so he could, he's got all the requirements and the hair. Like, he would be a great judge. I'm going to pitch that to John Finley for a Fox Nation show. Don't tell Trey Gowdy yet because we got to get the whole thing. We got to get the treatment together. We got to write everything up. Got to pitch it to John Finley. He has to approve it. And then we'll let Trey Gowdy know. We'll tell him that it's part of his contract. Uh, and I'll give you creator credit. Uh, but we should absolutely do that. That would be a fantastic show. And just let Trey Gowdy uh, dress people down. Yeah, you know, and he does it with such an incredibly straight face. And don't worry, nobody listens to my podcast anyway, so nobody's going to know about this. You go ahead and pitch the show. It'll be just fine. It'll be like a big surprise. But you just got to fit people in the right thing. He he went with the straight face. Now, let me understand what you did and how you did it. It's the kind of stuff that I saw him doing in Congress and that I wish they would provide an opportunity to to hear it out like on a to be a judge on a show. I just want to be Rusty. I just want to be that guy who's sitting The bailiff, hands. Rusty Burrell. That's right, with his hands in his pants, just saying. Hey, 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 watch it. What? Well, under his belt, under his belt, okay, all you know, right, okay. just resting, all right. just resting, that's all. You know Rusty. Rusty yeah, and then was... I'd be Doug Llewellyn. Like, that's, that's <laughs> I, I was primed to be Doug Llewellyn. Don't take the law into your own hands. Take him to Trey Gowdy's court. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, and we could bring Tyrus in. Tyrus would be a good. He could be my counterpart, right? Great. We could stand on either side of Trey Gowdy. He could just growl at people. Yes, and then we could rotate it. Yeah, I'd let you be the judge sometimes. And let Cat be the judge. Cat would let be a Kat great be judge. Be the judge. Yeah, and and let Tyrus be the judge sometimes too. Yeah. Just rotate those four or five positions, and then, you know... The- it's like a judicial commune. I really like how this is coming together, Jason. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a new calling. I don't think that you've realized. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to Dreamy Eyes, um, uh, the vice president here, Mr. Do you McDreamy. know him? Do you have his number? Have you ever yeah. talked to him on the phone? <laughs> I have met him. You know, his son served in Congress I with know, us. I know, and I've tried ben. to book Dan Quayle on my show like 700 times. And they're always like, yeah, no, he's busy or he won't get back to us. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, what did I do? I talked to him on the phone one time when I was at MTV and he was very nice and he sent me an autographed picture. Oh, he did. (laughs) But I think he probably found out. So I used to have an official picture that I bought in a D.C. gift shop. Uh, probably at the Hinkley Hilton. That's where you get the official ones. Yes. yes. And it was like a, a tag board, really thick, beautiful portrait of the former vice president and Mrs. Quayle. And so I put that up on my wall in New York City in my apartment on East 7th Street. And I cut out my face and I taped it on over Marilyn's face. And I had that on my bedroom wall for five years. <laughs> so weird that I didn't have a boyfriend. Huh. <laughs> If you did have one come over and he saw that, yikes. Yeah, it didn't last. That, How that weird. That is so funny. All right, so you love music. You love Dan Quayle. That's quite the combination, especially in Oregon. Yeah. How in the world did you end up on MTV? So it was really interesting. My parents, uh, they... Back when, by the way, back when MTV was actually about music, like that... And it was, it was fairly new because MTV, when I got there, was only 11 years old, which at the time seemed ancient. Like it, it was very right. established because, you know, at the time it was owned by Viacom and, you know, Viacom is and was a massive corporate entity. And so I um, I was interning at a music radio station in Los Angeles, an alternative radio station, KROQ, and my program director, Andy Schoen, was very young. He was only 25, and they called him the Boy Wonder because he was the youngest program director in any major market on any in any radio format in the country, and uh, he was a programming genius. I mean, he was like pure creativity, and um, he was he was really good at assessing people's talent. And really encouraging their gifts. And so I used to go into his office all the time and say, Andy, put me on the air. And one day he did. I had been at the radio station for about 10 months 
interning for free, and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a two-night trial. Uh, So it was two nights on the overnight, and then after that, he said, it was rough, but you made me laugh a couple times, so I'm going to give you a regular air shift on the overnights. And then, wow. and that was in December of 1991. I mean, K-Rock is no small station. K-Rock in Los Angeles, come on. That's a huge market. What, number two market in the country? Yeah. And, you're and, doing, and well I, done. I loved K-Rock in high school. My chiropractor used to have her friends record K-Rock on, uh, you know, big countdown weekends. And then she would give me the tapes after she listened to them a hundred times. So he then was poached by MTV to be a senior vice president of programming and uh, they had heard about some of the promotions that he had done and so he went to MTV in May of 1992 and I had only been on the air for five or six months so I thought that I was going to get fired by the next program the director yeah. yeah and Kevin Weatherly who <clears throat> ended up being the, the PD at K-Rock for you know probably like 25 28 years something like that just had phenomenal success there um, but he didn't get a chance to because that summer Andy talked them into giving me an audition, so I got to audition to be a VJ, and then he talked Judy McGrath and Doug Herzog into hiring me as a VJ, Um, and I did the audition when I was 19, and then a couple days after my 20th birthday, I moved to New York, and uh, and that was it. And how long were you at MTV? Uh, Almost six years. Was it as cool as, like, I was thinking it would be, any teenager in America would think that it would be. It was even cooler because so many of the people they hired were between 20 and 25. So, so many of the the PAs and the interns and the creatives were young music fans. And off camera, we had even more fun than we had on camera. And on camera, we had a great time. But it was also an interesting time in music because it wasn't snobbish like you know we really were encouraged to develop our music taste and and you know listen to and go see and and watch other genres of music that you know we weren't affiliated with and it was great and you know just getting to go to some of the like boxing matches because Showtime put on a bunch of the boxing matches and they were partly owned by Viacom so we would get like these incredible tickets to boxing matches so you know we saw holyfield bow and holyfield tyson and i think you know butterbean like did mike tyson fight butterbean like i remember seeing butterbean fight and i was like god this guy's amazing wish i were butterbean wish people called me that wish people were scared of me and called me butterbean uh but neither of those things happened so you loved MTV because you got boxing tickets, and you must have seen like an amazing array of talent going through the doors and coming on the shows and going to concerts along the way. Yeah, but that's what was so much fun is there's so many people who would come and perform, um, you know, on my show on Alternative Nation in 120 minutes, and they would oftentimes um, combine performances. So we would 120 and Alternative Nation would would use performances from various bands, um, but yes, like. You know, TLC would walk in and LL Cool J would walk in. And then, you know, some of the guys from Mud Honey would be there. And um, Paul Westerberg from The Replacements, whom I idolized. I loved Paul Westerberg. So he he came to MCV and did, you know, great sit-down interview with 120 Minutes. And oftentimes we would piggyback. So Rick Hankey, the executive producer of 120 Minutes, would interview bands off camera. And then I would do a shorter on-camera interview with bands for Alternative Nation. So we were going to do that with Paul Westerberg. And uh, he was so nice. And he was like, yeah, no, I'm so excited. This is great. Let me just, uh, I'm going to run next door to the deli and get a pack of cigarettes. I'm like, oh, great. So we're all set up. He was mic'd up. He's like, you know, yeah, let me take this mic off and I'm just going to run right here and, and get some smokes and I'll be right back. And so I'm just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and 10 minutes goes by, 20 minutes goes by. I was like, oh, my God, he's not coming back. And he just left. He just completely went AWOL, walked out the door, was like, you know what? I don't feel like doing another interview. And he just left. And I was like, this is so funny. And it was it was such a punk rock thing to do. I, I And I saw him a couple years later. I'm like, why'd you do it? He's like, no, nah, I just didn't feel like talking anymore. I was like, okay. Yep. I'm done. We're done. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> Good way to, to kind of end the show. So that eventually comes to an end. And then what did you do? I moved to Seattle 
and started doing talk radio in Seattle and, you know, really started sort of fiddling with a more non-traditional talk radio format because I had been so hugely in, um, influenced by Howard Stern. And so I was on an FM talk station and FM talk was relatively new and, um, you know, my show on, on The Buzz in Seattle, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, was before Tom Likas. And so – and I had known Tom Likas as a serious talk radio guy in L.A. And, you know, I had listened to him. He was very, very popular. But then he sort of switched to like, ah, women are stupid. Ah, it's yeah, – where did it take me out Columbine stuff? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's like, yeah, yeah, you got to break up with a broad and never give a woman a diamond ring and – it was uh, it was such nonsense, but I always liked talking to Tom off the air because he knew everything about radio, and and he knew how to be successful. And you know the formula for success, even though his content didn't resonate with me, uh, I I really I, I appreciated what he had to say about the format. And so uh, you know I just I tried to screw around with it a little bit, and then moved back to L.A. in 2000 to do um, a talk radio show on an early internet radio site, which was just a little too early to be successful. And it was called Comedy World. And, uh, you know, it was, it was really cool. I did a show with Amit Zappa and Greg Barrett did a show and um, Bobby Rivers and uh, Ken Ober, God rest his soul, the host of Remote Control on MTV and um, Beth Lapidus, like all these different comics. Uh, Rover did a show there for a while. He still has a successful morning show. And, you know, so I did I did that. And then uh, Jody Sherman, who was the CEO, lied to all of us and told us that they had two years of funding. And then six months in, he called a staff meeting. He's like, yeah, we don't exist anymore. Uh, no what? one has health insurance. No one's getting paid. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, he he had a very complicated uh, life after that. And he ended up taking his own life. And yeah, it was very, very sad. But he had a lot of creativity and a lot of ideas. But, you know, more demons. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Kennedy right after this. So you're bouncing around doing that. And then how in the world did you end up with Fox News? So I had started working with Reason, uh, doing pieces for Reason TV and writing for Reason.com, and um, they had approached me about developing sort of a Sunday morning libertarian talk show, and so we we went and pitched it to Fox, and John Stossel was hosting a weekend show on Fox Business, and he hired me to be his correspondent in 2012. Uh, yeah. And then I started covering things for Stossel and did, you know, tons of really fun and dangerous packages. You know, he sent us to Detroit and to a gun range, an outdoor gun range with bullets whizzing by our heads in Austin to shoot the 3D printed gun. And, you know, we went to a raucous public school meeting in Oakland because there was a guy there named Ben Chavis who uh, was running very popular charter schools that were infringing on some of the Oakland public city schools. And so there was a lot of pushback there. Um, but he he sent us all over. And then uh, we pitched a show called The Independence that was on Fox Business for a while. And that was canceled. And then my show debuted in January of 2015. Well, for those of you that haven't seen Kennedy's show, you got to watch it. It's just you do such a great job. I mean, it's just funny uh, but you're hitting the the main issues and you're drawing out the points that and points of consideration that uh, that people should think about and I, I i think you do a fabulous job with it well you are so kind i love it i mean i have to say um and this is this is all i want for my girls find something that you love and you know chances are if it's something you really really love it's going to be more competitive so if that's the case then you have to work harder and you have to figure out what your gifts are and what your deficits are and try and reduce your deficits and increase your gifts. And, you know, it's like it's a fine balance that we all have to go back to constantly. But when you are blessed to apply that to something that you love, 
Uh, for me, that's where real fulfillment comes from. And I love where I work. I love the people I work with. I look forward every day to coming in and knocking things out with my team. And, you know, it's like chronia pola, as they say in Greek, which means many years. Well, how where you've been obviously very successful at this through the years, but a lot of people wanted to be on MTV. A lot of people want to be on Fox, but you you do it and you're successful. What's the what's the difference? Like, what do you what's the secret sauce for Kennedy? Um, I think it's I don't hear no. I hear not now, and then I go back and I just find a different way of doing things. <laughs> right, and I think you know. I think when people operate with a sense of entitlement, um, they shortchange themselves. But when someone tells you no and you think of it as a minor obstacle and then you just go back and try and figure out, okay, then what can I do better or differently or both that will change that to a yes? And yeah, then, you know, and I think there's just, you know, a little bit of tenacity and, and I just I keep going and I keep going and uh, I just try and keep my head down and, you know, try not to get in too much trouble but try and have as much fun as possible. Well, that you definitely do. But go back to early, early little girl Kennedy again. I mean, not everybody can speak and think and do the instant creative thoughts that you do. What were you doing as a little girl that was like, gave you those experiences or that just pop out of you naturally when you were like four years old? No, I have two older brothers and, uh, you know, who were both, funny and very quick. And so the only way you score points in my family was to have comebacks. And so, yeah. you know, you you had to be at the ready and it had to be faster and it had to be more furious than whatever anyone started out with. And, you know, we also, we we listened to a lot of comedy albums and we watched a lot of Monty Python and like Blazing Saddles and <laughs> Fletch and Young Frankenstein and things like that that were goofy, but like also kind of smart funny, which we, we didn't even realize and appreciate. I think like as a kid, like I liked all the goofball stuff, but then as an adult, you appreciate the layers that are in something. You're like, oh my gosh, that's actually really, really smart. And, you know, I went back and watched the Netflix documentary on Monty Python, Degan McDowell, that was a great request or a recommendation from her. And then I went back and, and watched some of the movies and I realized, you know, why it's so brilliant and, and why that is so much harder. And I never wanted to be a comic because I, I always felt that that stand-up comedy was so incredibly difficult and there was such a tremendous downside. So I always wanted to be kind of incidentally funny. And and that was, you know, have a, a point of view and something that was substantive but then, you know, every once in a while be funny. And someone described my show as, you know, it starts out like buttoned up like a normal political talk show. And then by the end, by the time you get to Topical Storm and Kenna Dogs and Mouth Trump at Monday, like the wheels have completely fallen off the wagon. So it's like one wheel at a time until the end when it's just like utter chaos. And I think that's probably a pretty good description. Yeah, I think it is. I think you've, uh, you think you've captured it. And I, I, I think that's a, that's about right, but, um, it really is fun. And I think it makes it that much more engaging and that's, and so do you like it? Do you like TV as much as you liked being in Congress? Um, you know, I used to joke around. I, I, you know, I've been trying to pitch different things, and I'd say, you know, come on, I had the number one rated show on C-SPAN, and you know, I've already hosted that. So, you know, I really do buy into this whole Margaret Thatcher thing. Is that is first you got to win the you got to win the the idea, uh, the thought, and then you can go back and win the vote. And I, I love communications. I actually majored in it. And I actually that's kind of what got me into politics. And I've always felt that, like on the conservative end of the aisle, that we should be about policy and should be thinking these things through. But most people are so pathetic in their ability to communicate and to make an argument and to um, and to do so in a cogent way that actually moves people. I've always felt like Republicans in general were really bad at that. And so I get really I got frustrated in Congress because. Most members of Congress, they have like a spokesperson. And I'm like, you mean you got hired by 800,000 people and you got to hire some 25-year-old to tell people what you think? You got to be kidding me. I, I never had a spokesperson. I never did that. I, like, I'll answer any and all questions. 
And so I, I do love that. I love that with Fox, whether it's this podcast or being on the air or guest hosting or doing something, you get out to actually get out and talk about issues. And they're, they're short bursts, but um, I, I love it. I think it should be fun. I think it should be engaging. And I think it should be a, a bit entertaining, but it should also cause you to think and then think, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Or no, that, that's, that's not right. What's the most important issue to you? What's the one thing that keeps you up at night? I worry about the lack of the Tenth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment to the Constitution says that I, I worry that the federal government has its tentacles in everything. Like name something the federal government isn't involved with. That that to me really bothers me. And then I don't want to give just lip service to the debt. I think it's real. I think it comes back and hurts us at some point. It just bites us. And I, I until we do a constitutional amendment to balance the budget, I really worry about it. But if you don't get the Tenth Amendment right, then you know, it's sort of like you feel about all of the amendments, you know, I, and personal privacy, I think is paramount too. So I had to pick big top three. The fourth amendment is also up there. How invasive our government is. How the, 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 it, it just scares me as I've seen it up close and personal. And I don't know if we can unring this bell. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is people just get so used to it. They get so complacent about it and they think, oh, you know, it's okay if they spy. It's okay if they watch me. It's okay if they do this. Yeah, I haven't been doing anything wrong. What do I care about? Yeah, what could they possibly do to me? I don't, you know, that's, that's what I worry about. It's just, we need to starve the beast and get them out of our lives. People are smart enough to make their own decisions and, and come up, live with the consequences and, so I got a list. It's longer than one, but those are kind of top three right at the moment. I'll take it. Yeah, the judges will accept it. Good. See, this is why we need a show with the judge, because, you know, I'd love to argue with Judge Gowdy. <laughs> All right. As soon as uh, both of you are in town, we're going to go to lunch at Del Frisco's, and we're going we're gonna to pitch this Del Frisco's. and flesh there this whole go. thing out. All right. I got a couple more questions as we wrap this thing up, Kennedy. All okay? right. Rapid fire. Rapid fire. Here we go. Ready? Ready? First concert you attended? The Grateful Dead, Memorial Coliseum. I believe it was 1983. That's pretty good. That's pretty legit. Mine was Michael Jackson. Oh, that's pretty great. Mile High Stadium. I'm pretty sure that it was him because my seats could not. I literally was at the top row of the furthest part of the stadium. But, you know, that's what you get when you buy scalp tickets. So, But I'm pretty sure it was him. It sounded like him. Uh, What was your high school mascot? Oh, the Lakeridge Pacers. Are you ready for the Lakeridge Pacers? We are ready for you. Did you play any sports? Did you do anything like that? No, I uh, I traded track for show choir in seventh grade and never looked back. And my dad was devastated. I did play soccer, kind of rec soccer. You are soccer. a runner. You are a runner. I'm a triathlete, Matt. Come on now. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes. yes. I well, have to I have to qualify that because running is really it really is the worst part. Of the well, thread. you had that ankle injury right mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Not not a short amount of time. So yeah. I hope that's on the mend. That's yeah, good. Yeah, you and I both. Ooh. First celebrity crush. That's a really good one. Um, probably Leaf Garrett. <laughs> that, okay, the show has never heard Leaf Garrett, but mm-hmm. I know Leaf Garrett because I'm old enough to know who Leaf Garrett is. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah, he I was, was very young. Oh, he was he was dreamy. Yeah, was that guy dreamy. was the top of the food chain there for a while. Uh, you're very. Most people don't know this about you, but you eat very well. So, uh, favorite vegetable? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I do uh, I do incorporate a lot of baby spinach into what I eat pretty much every day. Um, I like a good uh, sliced Persian cucumber, but I have to say, because I'm half Romanian, half Scottish, uh, I'm a sucker for cabbage. Cabbage? You're going with cabbage? All I the vegetables cabbage. and you're going with cabbage? I, lo- I love cabbage so much. Like I love sauerkraut. I love cabbage rolls. I love cabbage soup. That's another first for the show, but I got to tell you, most people, not, uh, not most, uh, several people, when I ask for their favorite vegetable, can't name a vegetable. So no. that's, uh, uh, cabbage, okay, well, the judges will accept that, but that is a first, and I doubt we'll ever be challenged again. I but, guarantee you, any Eastern European person listening and any <laughs> Scottish person would be like, yep, I get it. I'm down. I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you met Bigfoot, what would you ask him? Are you alone? Are there others? Are there and That's why are you so stinky? Because apparently Bigfoot has a very putrid smell. And those who have come in contact with said beast 
are overcome by how stank he is? Yeah, that's a good question. That is a good question. Um, most embarrassing moment. God, there are so many. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you narrow it down. Um, that's a fine question. Uh, this was this really as a broadcaster. This is a doozy. <laughs> and I still laugh about it to this day. So um, I was covering, I was covering the Olympics for CBS in 1998 in Nagato, and mm-hmm. uh, they were there was a, a like an all hands on deck meeting trying to figure out like how we were going to do the closing ceremony and who was going to be where and who was going to interview who and uh, and it's always a big deal in the closing ceremony like which decorated athlete is going to be carrying the American flag. And it's always, you know, it, it is a, a true point a pa- of patriotic honor. moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, you're, you're representing your country, you're representing the Olympic ideal. <laughs> and, you know, historically you've, you've had so much experience that everyone on the team, uh, you know, new and, and veteran l- really looks up to you. And right. it, it's oftentimes it's more obscure athletes that maybe you don't know of. Uh, but sometimes, you know, they're, they're pretty big names. So, one of the uh, senior producers said, who do you think is going to carry the flag during the closing ceremony? And I looked at him and I go, Wayne Gretzky. And he looked at me like I was the dumbest person in the world. And I was like, I'm totally kidding. And I, But I took too long to say it and my face was bright red. And I was like, I know he's Canadian. That was a total joke. I just said that because he played for the New York Rangers. Okay? But I know it's not Wayne Gretzky. I know that. But he looked at me like I was the dumbest person in the world. That is a great answer. All right. Uh, if you could meet one person, dead or alive, have di- have them over for dinner. Who would that person be? Socrates. Oh, interesting answer. You got some questions for that philosopher, don't you? Yes, I do. Absolutely. And I got to stand in what they believe is the cell uh, where Socrates died, and I got to read philosophy at uh, you know the the ruins of Plato's Academy. Wow. Yep. When I was in hey, Greece, you've, you've obviously thought this through. I'm impressed. I've no, I've I have a lot of very specific questions um, about the Socratic dialogues, the Socratic method, uh, sophistry, all sorts of stuff. Wow, that's all right. Uh, a unique talent that nobody knows about. Oh, that I have. Yeah. What's my unique talent? Well, not Wayne Gretzky. You. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's fine. My ability to channel Wayne Gretzky's greatness. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really good at getting knots out. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. So when my daughter had three necklaces that she'd been wearing at once, all with very thin chains, and I had to extract them from her neck so she could go to a soccer game, I had a needle and a pair of pointy, pointy tweezers, and I had to work. Uh, it, and it was, it was like a, it. a movie where you know, there was a time bomb that was about to go off on right. a safe you know, I've got my the stethoscope and the safe, and it's like, tick, tick, tick. Uh, but uh, I was able to remove all three necklaces, and they were unharmed. Yeah, I was as you were saying that I was thinking of Twenty Four. You know, the show Twenty Four, where they're in you know uh, some big city like Washington D.C., but they're always four minutes away from wherever they need to be, and that time is ticking down. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's... And I can fall asleep anywhere. See, I can fall asleep on a plane. In fact, I have a hard time not falling asleep. As as soon as the plane pulls away. I'm out. Yeah, that's it. That's like, I I feel like they pump something into the plane (laughs) ether that is narcotic because the second they they start to taxi toward the runway, I'm like. I think it's because it forces me to sit still and I don't sit still very well. Yeah. And I can't move my legs, and I always get a window seat, and I just yep. fall asleep. Window seat's the best. It's the key. It is the key. All right. What do you believe about UFOs? Oh, I believe that they are absolutely real. And there are uh, so many, there are civilizations beyond our comprehension. And, you know, it will be very interesting to learn how they uh, overcame the laws of physics as we know them to traverse the heavens to uh, make little visits. Make little visits. Have you been visited? I do not believe I have been visited, no. All right, just checking. Last one. Best advice you ever got? Oh, that's a really, really good one. Um, you kind of gave it in the middle of the show here, the middle of the podcast, but 
you know, we'll see if you got another one in you. Yeah, and I I do uh, I do like advice from old ladies. The one piece of advice I got I can't repeat because it's it's a little bit filthy. Um, from an old lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say go big or go home is always good. Uh, my family motto is if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. And my dad would always say that. And I think you can apply that to pretty much anything because you know when it's it's bigger and it's there's more pageantry it resonates in your heart and uh i i really like that well i it's you're you're certainly applying it cuz you're having great success and it's a lot of fun to interact with you just personally one on one but also um you know w- what you're doing at fox and uh, it's just you've you've done a fabulous job of that and you made a lot of people smile and think along the way and we, I truly appreciate you joining me here on the Jason in the House podcast. I really do. You are so kind. Jason Chaffetz, I can't wait to see you back in the flesh. And uh, you and Mrs. Chaffetz and I, by gum, we're going to go to a, a wholesome show, and uh, we will we'll change the world for the better. Del Frisco's and Lion King it is. Sounds <laughs> yes, good to me. It. Yes. <laughs> Kennedy, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Kennedy is just like, I mean, yes, you hear that conversation, you just know, you just, she is just a fun, fun person to be around and very thoughtful. And, uh, I, I, I had Dan Quayle. I had no idea. That was kind of fun. All right. So thanks for listening to the Jason in the House podcast. We're hoping that you can review it, rate it, like it, subscribe to it. We've got a lot of good, interesting people coming up and uh, an archive of people that we've had discussions with uh, through, uh, you know, through the months here. You can go over to foxnewspodcast.com to find some other podcasts that are out there. And we'd uh, we appreciate it if you join us again next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.